it's Friday the 11th of November and welcome to Korea 24. I'm your host, Kwon Jang-woo. President Yoon Suk-yeol is in Cambodia for his first tour of Southeast Asia, where he'll be attending various ASEAN-led summits and the G20 summit in Indonesia. We'll have more details in news briefing shortly. For a special weekly economy review today, we discuss what the results of the US midterm elections could mean for the Inflation Reduction Act and for South Korea. And then coming up on Movie Spotlight, we review Black Panther Wakanda Forever, as well as the auteur director Hong Sang-soo's latest Walk Up. We have all that and more on today's Career 24. President Yoon Sung-yeol arrived in Phnom Penh on Friday, kicking off day one in his visit to Southeast Asia to attend a series of multilateral meetings. Our KBS World Radio news editor Koo Hee-jin joins us in the studio now to give us the details on his arrival in the Cambodian capital, as well as our other headlines of the day. Hee-jin, hello. Hello, Jana. So as we previewed yesterday, the president is currently holding a summit with members of the Association of Southeast Asian Nations, or ASEAN, ahead of a number of multilateral forums. Mm -hmm. Can you briefly tell us what message he will convey during the visit. Well, President Yoon Suk-yeol, accompanied by First Lady Kim Gon-hee, uh, began his first leg of his Southeast Asian tour with a summit with 10 ASEAN member nations. He announced Seoul's new Indo-Pacific strategy for liberty, peace and prosperity and a fresh roadmap to form solidarity with the region. He said that his vision for a new alliance will serve as a historic milestone for cooperation with its partner ASEAN nations. And on Saturday, the president will take part in the ASEAN Plus 3 summit involving the heads of South Korea, China and Japan. It will be the first time for leaders from these three Northeast Asian countries to come together uh, since a trilateral summit held in December 2019. Yoon will be joined by Japanese Prime Minister Fumio Kishida and Chinese Premier Li Keqiang. Meanwhile, Yoon Kishida and US President Joe Biden are also set to get together on the sidelines of the 18-member East Asia Summit on Sunday. The three allies will likely discuss enhancing security cooperation in the wake of North Korea's escalating nuclear and missile provocations. Indeed. And while Yoon's office has announced that there will be a bilateral between Yoon and Biden, it has yet to provide details of when and where, obviously, for security reasons. The top office has yet to confirm Japanese media reports that a Yoon-Kishida meeting may also take place. The president will then travel to the Indonesian island of Bali late Sunday, where he will speak at the Business 20 Summit of business groups and entrepreneurs from the G20 member nations the next day. Speculation is rife on whether Yun will hold face-to-face talks with Chinese President Xi Jinping on the sidelines of the G20 forum. Meanwhile, the presidential office barred local broadcaster MBC's journalists from boarding the presidential plane during Yun's tour, citing repeated distortions and biased reporting on foreign affairs. 
And yes, sir, we'll have details from these meetings in our coverage next week. Uh, regarding North Korea, the White House said on Thursday that the US remains concerned about a possible nuclear test and ballistic missile launches by North Korea. Uh, so what do they say exactly? Well, US National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan told reporters at a briefing and reiterated Washington's concern about whether the North could conduct a nuclear test during next week's G20 summit. And Sullivan said the US has been very transparent about its concerns and that the North may conduct its seventh nuclear test at some point in the broader time frame, a possibility touched upon for months. He said the concern is still real as the window still remains open. The official said that Washington is also concerned about further long-range missile tests on top of a possible nuclear test. Uh, Sullivan said that the U.S. will be watching carefully for both forms of provocation, but there is no telling when North Korea may conduct its tests. Uh, Meanwhile, a U.S. National Security Council official said on Thursday that North Korea will feature as an agenda when President Biden meets Chinese President Xi for their first face-off on the sidelines of the G20 summit on Monday. North Korea's aggressions have drawn South Korea and the US uh, even closer, so much so that there were reports that the US would purchase 100,000 rounds of South Korean artillery to be shipped to Ukraine. Mm -hmm. South Korea's defence ministry reiterated, though, that it's standing by its principle of sending non-lethal hardware to Ukraine. Uh, Can you explain a bit more? Well, the Defence Ministry said on Friday that negotiations are underway between relevant companies of the two countries to supplement U.S. stockpile of 155mm artillery rounds. The ministry added that it is not deviating from its policy of sending only non-lethal and humanitarian assistance to Ukraine. The assistance... uh, The statement comes a day after the Wall Street Journal quoted U.S. official as saying uh, that uh, defense chiefs of Seoul and Washington agreed in principle earlier this month that the U.S. would purchase 100,000 rounds of South Korean artillery to be shipped to Ukraine. Russian President Vladimir Putin warned South Korea against providing weapons and ammunition to Ukraine, adding that if it comes to pass, it will fray bilateral relations. South Korea has supplied Ukraine with bulletproof vests and helmets, as well as medical supplies, tents and blankets following Russia's invasion of the country. Let's turn to some other headlines now. A special police team investigating the deadly Itaewon crowd crush continued to summon officials from the Yongsan District Office and other agencies for questioning. Can you give us the latest developments? Well, according to the investigation headquarters spokesperson on Friday, the team is questioning district uh, officials on the whereabouts of its uh, director, Park Kiong, on the night of the tragedy. Park is being investigated on charges of death by occupational negligence. The investigators will also probe officials for information on the district's precautionary safety measures, as well as collusion between the office and the Hamilton Hotel on unauthorised construction that 
contributed to the tragedy. The hotel and its executive are under investigation for violating building codes with structures around the premises, including those along the alley where the crush took place. A travel ban has been issued against the hotel's chief executive. The probe is also looking into the validity of the response by fire authorities as well as a possible order handed down from the Yongsan police station to delete an intelligence report that cast concerns over public safety in the area during the Halloween festivities. Speaking of the deleted report, a senior inspector-level police officer who had been under police investigation for allegedly conspiring and coercing others to erase it was found dead at his home in an apparent suicide. So what more do we know on this? Well, according to the Gangbuk police station, the officer, only identified by the family name of Chong, was found dead by relatives on Friday. An official from the police said Chong supposedly committed suicide without giving further details. The senior police official, who was booked for allegedly destroying evidence, reportedly sent a text message to several colleagues the previous day that foreshadowed suicidal intent. Chong a former intelligence division section manager at Yongsan police station was accused of abusive authority and of persuading unit members to look the other way regarding alleged uh, offences. And finally, South Korea's benchmark stock index scored its biggest daily percentage gain in more than 20 months on Friday on signs that the inflation in the US is waning. Can you give us the closing figures? Well, the Korea Composite Stock Price Index closed at 2,483.16 points on Friday, up by 80.93 points, or 3.37% from Thursday. It marks the index's biggest daily gain since it rose 3.6%. Uh, 5% on February 25th of 2021. The US consumer prices on Thursday rose 7.7% in October from a year earlier, falling below 8% for the first time in months and also hovering below market expectations of 7.9%. It raised expectations that the Federal Reserve may readjust the pace of its aggressive key rate hikes leading the US Dow Jones Industrial Average to rally 3.7%. That's all for our news briefing today. Thank you for those updates. Thank you. Coming up next is in-depth news analysis. You are now listening to Korea 24 on KBS World Radio. The U.S. midterm elections took place on Tuesday. The final outcome has yet to be declared, but what it looks like as if the Democrats are on track to lose control of the House of Representatives, it's so far neck and neck in the Senate, representing a better-than-expected result for President Joe Biden. The results are being closely watched here in South Korea for the impact it could have on economic policies, particularly when it comes to the Inflation Reduction Act in the US, as it's set to negatively affect Korean car makers. 
To discuss the elections and its ramifications, we'll connect now with a guest in the US for a special weekly economy review today. Joining us on the line is Troy Stangerone, Senior Director and Fellow at the Korea Economic Institute. Thank you for your time today, Mr. Stangerone. No, glad to do it. First off, could you paint us the overall picture of the outcome? What does it look like at the moment? So, in essence, we're in many ways right where we were before the midterm elections. Neither party is going to have a significant majority in either House, the Senate, or the House of Representatives. And the United States clearly remains fairly well politically divided. If we look at the outcome in terms of sort of key players... Clearly, Governor DeSantis in Florida was a big winner. Um, In many ways, President Joe Biden was a big winner because Democrats were able to minimize losses to where traditionally a first-term U.S. president sees losses of upwards of 40 to 60 seats, and we're seeing significantly less losses on the Democratic side this time. At the same time, it showed the limits of President Trump. So in many ways, this shows that perhaps he is somewhat weakening in the U.S. political system. Uh, how surprising was the result so far, this so-called red wave of wins for the Republican that had been touted before the election? doesn't seem to have uh, been that dramatic. I think it's not quite as surprising as some would think. We know the United States has become fairly polarized. If this election had taken place under these circumstances perhaps 15 years ago, we might have seen a red wave. Um, but you have a situation right now in the United States to where People are unwilling to largely cross the line to vote for the opposition party. The independent side still exists, but it's perhaps been narrowed over the last decade or two. And at the same time, we're seeing a situation to where, because of things like the Supreme Court decision, Democrats are very sort of, excuse me, the Supreme Court decision on abortion, are very fired up and determined to go vote. So where normally in a midterm election, you don't see much enthusiasm from the party in power's base you are seeing that in this election. So in many ways, this isn't a very surprising result. Uh, What were the key issues on voters' minds? You mentioned uh, the Supreme Court ruling on abortion. Uh, How do you think these issues uh, affected the outcomes? So in some ways, it's hard to see the causality. If we look at uh, exit polling, the number one issue was inflation. And people who are mostly concerned about inflation largely voted Republican. What we don't know, though, is is this because Republicans are primarily concerned about inflation or because Americans as a whole are primarily concerned about inflation? There's a little bit of mixture in the data here. Um, But if you look at the second issue on the exit polling, only a few points behind in some of the exit polls is abortion. So you once again, you know, Republicans largely not interested in abortion as an issue in this election. Democrats highly interested. So in some ways, we might just simply be seeing the motivations of the two parties right there. Then if you go and look at the next issues, which were uh, crime and gun violence, once again, you know, crime was a major issue for Republicans. Gun violence or gun violence, yes, excuse me, uh, was a major issue for uh, Democrats, roughly the same amount of percentage. So in some ways, we're not seeing necessarily what the major issues for America as a whole are, but what the major issues for voters in the two parties were. I see. And then what does this mean for President Biden uh, going forward? What is the significance of this result, do you think? So, practically speaking, it strengthens President Biden politically. Um, He's already suggested, one, that he's unlikely to change his economic policies given the results because he sees this as validation and has suggested that the more Americans learn about 
uh, what is in things like the Inflation Reduction Act, the Infrastructure Act, the Semiconductor Bill, and other things that the more Americans like his policies. Um, and there probably is some truth to that. If we look back to the Affordable Care Act, the more Americans actually learned about it, the more they came to like it. So it perhaps is a little early for this type of analysis from President Biden, but in the long term, that's probably true. Um, also, it makes it easier for him, if he does want to take and run for election, to be able to run. If Democrats had lost something like 40 or 60 seats and lost the Senate um, by you know, a significant margin because there was a chance they could have lost four or five seats, then I think it, there would have been a lot of calls for him to step aside, not to run again. But I think now he's in a better position to do that. So in a lot of ways, it's really strengthened his political position. Indeed. Uh, now, looking a bit further afield, as I mentioned at the start, South Korea and many other nations, I'm sure, will be closely watching the results for uh, what it could mean for uh, the global economy. For South Korea, the key concern in recent months has been the Inflation Reduction Act. It was signed and passed into law in August, but it caught many countries and car makers off guard because it included a previously uh, undisclosed provision which excludes electric vehicles uh, assembled outside of North America from tax incentives. So first, what was your reaction to this provision initially? And second, could the results of this election have any impact on the IRA IRA now? Well, if we go back to the Build Back Better Act, we knew there were going to be provisions on EVs and EV batteries. Uh, We knew that there were some potential issues with that. For example, prior versions of the legislation uh, called for an extra bonus, essentially, to be given to vehicles made in union factories. So in some ways, the specific assembly provision itself was a surprise, but the broader thrust of the legislation was not. Um, But in terms of, you know, really what the election means, I think this is going to be challenging. I've read the specific provisions within the Inflation Reduction Act um, related to EVs and EV batteries, and I'm largely in concurrence with what Secretary Yellen has said publicly, which is that there isn't really much room for the administration itself to take and try and create leeway. Mm. That being said, that means that Congress is going to have to make an adjustment. Now, that's not likely to happen in in the lame duck session. So the real question is, what does that mean for the next Congress? I think we're talking about something potentially. It's not going to be the first issue on Congress's agenda, but it's also going to be challenging because Republicans are not fans of the Inflation Reduction Act. And even if Democrats were open to making adjustments, it's going to be, I think, challenging for Democrats and Republicans to find common ground on this issue. Mm, I see. In the meantime, South Korea is continuing to try and push the U.S. to uh, adjust some of the terms, uh, uh, at least uh, have some leeway. Uh, last week, South Korea requested the United States uh, defer the application of the uh, IRA for three years and possibly adjust the definition of a final assembly and what that means for electric vehicles. Uh, This would perhaps allow time for uh, Hyundai and uh, South Korea's biggest car maker to complete its uh, planned new EV battery plant in Georgia, among uh, other details. Uh, What's your take on Seoul's move here to try and uh, push back the IRA for three years? I think it's important they continue to engage the United States on this issue. Uh, specifically to try and engage the new Congress next year. Um, you know, if we look at the reaction to the Inflation Reduction Act, clearly there are concerns in South Korea. There are concerns within the European Union. There are concerns within Japan. 
and all three of those are potential major EV battery producers or EV uh, cars, electric vehicles. And at the same time, we've seen the EU has formed a special task force with the United States to try and address this issue. It's unfortunate this task force doesn't include South Korea and Japan, who also have a stake in this issue. But the broader thrust, I think, here is trying to find a solution to this problem that meets the needs of those three key players. Because right now, each of them have slightly different concerns and slightly different needs. And so while I think you know, a delay on the assembly division or provisions to 2025 would clearly help you know, Hyundai and Kia in the U.S. market, it also doesn't necessarily address some of the challenges that Japanese auto producers and European auto producers are going to face. And so I think any solution is going to have to try and address all of those concerns. I do think one thing we should keep in mind, though, is that the potential impact of this legislation may not be quite as significant as uh, some people had feared. And the reason I say that is, is the way the provisions are structured, while the assembly issue is in place right now, and it's what is determining the tax credit at this moment, starting next year, what really matters is the mineral content and the content in terms of uh, parts. Mm. And are those from either US FTA partners or the United States. And GM has publicly said, for example, that they will only be able to meet the requirements for half of the tax subsidy. So if you're buying a GM electric vehicle in the United States, you're only going to get about $3,500 in tax uh, credits back. So while other companies may take and have some of the credit in place, Hyundai and Kia may not be facing a situation to where all of their competitors, or at least all their U.S. competitors, are getting $7,500 in tax credits back. So while there's clearly an issue that needs to be worked through, it may not be quite as uh, large or significant as some had feared. Right, so that's something we need to look out for uh, in the coming months then. Uh, in the meantime, what about the uh, South Korea's push to perhaps uh, clarify the details of what it means to define a final assembly, uh, how much physically needs to be assembled in the US? Do you think uh, there could be any flexibility there? In an interview with uh, KBS on Wednesday, Trade Minister An Dok-gun said such talks are ongoing and that aspect is a primary focus of the talks at the moment. So I think this is an interesting approach. Um, it's unclear. I've seen this floated uh, from the European side as well. Um, you know, what ultimately do we mean by assembly? My guess is, is this isn't going to be something to where, you know, two or three parts are left out and they're put in and then it's considered assembled. I feel like there'd be significant pushback from Congress. But is there some type of middle ground to where there's still a decent amount of assembly taking place in the United States? Um, but not so much as to be a burden on, you know, importers that this is something that they couldn't do. That I'm unsure of, but this could be a potential pathway if there is some type of middle ground like that. And finally, do you think there's anything more that South Korea can do to persuade the U.S. Uh, on the IRA? So I think it's important, and to the South Korean government's credit, they have been trying to do this to work with the European Union and to work with Japan. You know, right now we're in a situation to where the Inflation Reduction Act has probably done more to raise tensions with key U.S. allies and partners than it has to take and make it easier to buy electric vehicles in the United States. That being said, if each of them work separately, 
we're probably not going to get a solution, or if we do get a solution, we run the risk that it's a solution that perhaps meets the European Union's needs but not Korea's needs or Korea's needs but not Japan and the EU's needs, and that then will only make other questions, uh, tensions at a time where, to be honest, we all need to try and work together on this issue because one of the key underlying issues with the Inflation Reduction Act is an effort to try and reduce all of our dependence at the end of the day, to be honest, on China for these key minerals that go into not just electric vehicles but are also sometimes used in important military applications. And so right now we're in a situation to where a potential peer competitor largely controls part of the key inputs into not only national defense, but the future transition of not just the U.S. economy, but the South Korean economy, the Japanese economy, and the European economy. And so that's something that we should be trying to find a way to work together on and to expand our ability to draw on resources, not just from our own countries, but from other potential partners around the world as well. We'll wrap it up there. We've been speaking to Troy Stangerone from the Korea Economic Institute in the US. Thank you once again for your time today. No, glad to do it. Welcome to the Korea 24 Stock and Forex Update. The benchmark Korea Composite Stock Price Index rose 80.93 points, or 3.37% on Friday. The main bourse closed the week at 2,483.16. The tech-heavy Kosdaq also rose, gaining 23.44 points, or 3.31%, closing the day at 731.22. On the foreign exchange, the local currency strengthened 59.11 against the dollar, ending the day at 1,318.41. You can check Korean stock and forex closings at world.kbs.co.kr. We carry on now to our daily segment, Korea Trending, looking at some of the other news stories that have been trending online today. And for that, we're joined in the studio by our contributor, Walter Lee, to bring us those stories. Walter, hello. It's good to see you. Hello, jung It's great to be here. Let's head straight into our stories again today. What do you have for us first? OK, so we start with a heartwarming story of how a nurse who had just finished a long night shift and how she saved a man who lost consciousness due to cardiac arrest. Now, the Changwon Fatima Hospital in Changwon City, South Gyeongsang Province, shared on Thursday the story surrounding Lee Jae-kyung, who has been working as a nurse in the hospital for the past four years. On October 17th, E was heading out of the hospital when she discovered a man unconscious with his family in a cab parked outside the entrance. Now, she immediately dashed to the man and began to perform CPR. Thanks to her quick thinking and the ER staff's prompt response, the man recovered and was discharged from the hospital. Right, surveillance footage has been released as well, and you can see her about to head home when she sees the taxi and senses something wrong. And then you see her jump into the car and start performing CPR in the car itself. Mm. She just jumps straight into action. It's pretty incredible. Right. Uh, you mentioned that the hospital shared the story, but how did the story come to service in the first place? Well, it came to be known after the man's family made a post on the hospital's website. Now, the family said they were on their way to the hospital after their father suffered breathing problems and that uh, they were left helpless when his heart suddenly stopped beating. The family said that it was at the moment when E approached the cab and gave their father CPR. They thanked E deeply, calling her an angel. Now, the head of the Changwon Fatima Hospital, Park Jong-sun, shared the story during a recent staff meeting and presented E with a Good Samaritan Award. 
Yes, she certainly deserves it. Uh, what has she said about what she did? Well, E said she immediately realized the urgency of the situation as the patient was lying unconscious in the arms of her uh, of, of his family. E he said she promptly performed CPR as she couldn't detect any heartbeat and as he, his pupils were dilated. Now, she also said that she had only done what was right and is embarrassed to be showered with compliments, adding that she is happy that she was able to see the patient leave the hospital in good health. Well, that's a wonderful story indeed to start our segment here today. Let's uh, move on to our second story. I believe we have some sports news now from Major League Baseball, Walter. Yes, that's correct. So South Korean first baseman Choi Ji-man has been traded to the Pittsburgh Pirates. Now, the Pirates said on Twitter on Friday that they acquired the infielder Choi from the Tampa Bay Rays in exchange for minor league pitcher Jack Hartman. Now, the trade comes as the Pirates have lacked offense production for the ba- first base position, and as Trey was not able to show off his skills due to multiple injuries during the 2022 season. This season, Trey recorded a batting average of .233 with 83 hits, 11 homers, 52 RBIs, and 36 runs in 113 games. Right, Chair, he's changed teams quite a bit since uh, beginning his professional career in the US in 2010, right? Yeah, that's correct. So he would be changing uniforms for the seventh time by joining the Pirates. Now, the 31-year-old signed with the Seattle Mariners before the 2010 season and then went on to play for the Baltimore uh, Orioles in 2015. Now, uh, the Los Angeles Angels in 2016, the New York Yankees in 2017, and Milwaukee Brewers in 2018 before being traded to the Tampa Bay Rays that same year. Now, according to MLB.com, Pittsburgh recruited an offensive first baseman and added that Trey will play as the starting first baseman for the Pirates on the opening day of next season. Interesting. Those who uh, follow Korean baseball as well may already be familiar with the Pirates as he will be joining some fellow compatriots there. Yes, that's correct. So Trey is expected to settle in smoothly in his new team as there are two fellow South Koreans, Park Hyojun and Bae Ji-hwan. Um, Park transferred to the Pirates in July of last year after having played for the New York Yankees, while Bear made his Major League debut with the Pirates in September this year after being in the minor leagues. Well, uh, Chair, he had a mixed season this year, but he did battle injury as well, playing the latter half of the season with a bone fragment in his right elbow. So he is set to return to Korea this weekend, in fact, to have surgery to fix that. So mm. hopefully he'll recover quickly and show his best form for the Pirates next year. OK, let's move on to our final story. What else has been trending today? Right, so RM of BTS will release his first official solo album next month. Now, RM announced Friday that his solo album, Indigo, will be released on December 2nd. He made the announcement on the online fan community platform Weverse. Now, Indigo is said to be an album resembling the BTS leader's personal diary as it includes his thoughts and concerns with the collaborative work with interesting friends. The 28-year-old had previously revealed the name of the album via social media on Thursday. So, exciting news. Uh, You said the album includes collaborative works with quote-unquote interesting friends. (laughs) Uh, Do we know which friends then took part in the making of this album? Well, 
Only guesses are being made for now. The many observers believe that the American record producer and singer Pharrell Williams could have taken part in Indigo given that he had worked on a project with the rapper before. Now, RM had previously collaborated with musicians from various genres of music, including Eon of the band Mut and guitarist Eun Hee Young, British pop duo Hon and K-pop alternative group Bumming Tiger. Yes, although Indigo is his first official solo album, RM has done uh, several solo projects before, right? That's correct. So he has dropped two mixtapes, RM in March 2015 and Mono in October 2018. Now, RM ranked 50th in the 50 best hip-hop albums of 2015 released by US music magazine Spin, while Mono came in 26th in the Billboard 200 main albums charts. Now, RM is the third BTS member to release a solo album following J-Hope and Jin. Yes, the boys have been busy with solo projects recently. Okay, that's all the time we have for today's career trending. Thank you for those stories, Walter, and we'll see you next week. See you next week. It's time now for our Friday feature, Movie Spotlight, where we review some of the latest cinematic releases at the Korean box office and online. And we, of course, do that with the help of our esteemed film critics. First, I have to my right, Jason Beshevais. Jason, hello. Hello, Jane. Yes, hope you've been well. And to my left, we have Mark Raymond with us this week. Mark, hello. It's great to see you. Nice to see you again. Okay, this week's major release is undoubtedly the much-anticipated Marvel sequel, another Marvel sequel, Black Panther, (laughs) Wakanda Forever. But of course, it is without the late Chadwick, Chadwick Boseman, who sadly passed away two years ago. Jason, due to that fact, I take it this is somewhat of a different kind of Marvel film. Can you tell us more? Yeah, it is, and it's it's not. Uh, there's no doubt that the shocking passing of Chadwick Boseman, as you mentioned, has left a huge hole in MCU. Um, uh, you know, I'm not even a fan of the films, but I, I still remember quite vividly the, the Sunday morning when his death was announced, a huge outpouring of, of grief on social networking mm. sites. Uh, Ryan Coogler's pa- uh, Black Panther, released in 2018, was you know such a culturally important film, a seminal feature in the representation of, of black characters and African culture. Uh, and also its rebuke of Trumpism in America, which I personally enjoyed rather much. Um, and, you know, it's just impossible to, to replace Bozeman. Um, he's very much at the centre of the film. And so wisely, Kugler, who's again directing, and he wrote the script uh, for this new film, uh, his character's death is basically right at the beginning of the film. Quite, mm. So it begins on a somewhat sombre note, um, and clearly the, you know, the emotional core of the film is connected to Bozeman's death. Uh, some parallels here, of course, to Furious seven starring the late Paul Walker and so we get soon kind of get the opening set piece which seems a bit scaled down um, compared to some other uh, Avengers you know movies uh, and so what happens is there's this threat emerges from the depths of the ocean and, and not long we have this uh, we have very much we were very much in Marvel territory again okay. uh, when we have a war brewing between this under undersea nation of Talukan and Wakanda and so you've also got the American government at the fringes uh, and Martin Freeman's kind of plays a somewhat minimal role here 
the film's main protagonist, played by Latia Wright, uh, she plays uh, Shuri. She's very much at the centre of the film. I think that was a smart decision. She plays the role really well. Of also got Lupita Nyong'o uh, and a few other uh, cast members as well. Uh, Tanoch Huta, uh, he plays the film's central villain, Namor, uh, the head of this uh, undersea ocean world. Right, Mark, I know you're not overly keen on these Marvel films either. In fact, you've only seen a handful, I believe, right? Did you see the first Black Panther? I did, yeah. Okay, so uh, did it work for you then, after at least knowing Mm -hmm. the first film as well? Yeah, I like this film. Uh, It's gotten some mixed reviews so far. There are are kind of some positive, some negative, but I I was kind of surprised I liked it as much as I did. Mm. Uh, It does have a bit of a slow opening, uh, you know, probably related to them having to deal with the death of Chadwick Boseman, his character. So it, it so it does take a while to get going, but once the sort of plot kicks in, I quite I thought it was quite good. And one of the things about Ryan Coogler, the director who'd also directed the original Black Panther, which I also liked, mm. he seems to be the only director who goes into Marvel movies. It comes out with his authorship somewhat intact, <laughs> that, <laughs> right, that it doesn't okay. get completely erased. Sure. Because uh, that's the problem with the Marvel films, is that if you take on one of these movies, you kind of have to fit yourself into the whole universe, and mm. you have to... Uh, there's not much room for kind of your own expression, it seems, mm. in a lot of these films. Uh, but Kugler seems to have been able to keep... Uh, some of that personality that he has, for example, he, he, spring, he begins as like making this independent movie, Fruitvale Station. He makes Creed, which is this kind of reworking of the Rocky kind of franchise. And with these two films, I feel like he there still is those um, that interest in um, African culture, as I mentioned. And, and this is really a movie about uh, kind of a post-colonial movie about these mm. uh, the effects of colonialism on these two different civilizations and they're kind of clashing in the film but there's also the question of well shouldn't they really be uniting that's kind of the question of the film is like who you know should they really be fighting each other shouldn't they be you know uniting against the the powers that have kind of oppressed them so i, I found all that thematic material pretty interesting and all the performances as well quite good so right so yeah. it's another effective uh, celebration of african culture like the first film it is, and it, but it also is also kind of uh, you know complicates that. It basically says, well, yeah, we have this culture, but then right, what do we do in this new world? Like you know, where we have this kind of mm. you know we have this more prominent position in the world uh, compared to the past, but what do we do now that we're under these threats? How do we negotiate ourselves in the modern kind of? world of the film sure jason what do you think as mark mentioned uh, some of the reviews have been uh, perhaps not overly enthusiastic uh but uh, what do you think um yeah i i didn't like it as much as mark did i think um i think partly because uh, in terms of the film's pacing uh, although yeah the opening is somewhat subdued and actually i really like that mm. uh, and then it kind of gets going but then it becomes very marvel like and it kind of goes off in all these directions i wasn't so keen on that the ending is really strong and really powerful which is what i to- what i expected ends in a really powerful way um i had issues with the villain of the film the villain is just just so weak and <laughs> uh I mean, that may be an issue of casting, maybe an issue of writing, possibly quite, you know, both. But uh, so I I didn't like the villain, but I do like the fact that it focuses on these female characters. 
uh, these black female characters and it gives them a lot of agency and so that is a, that's one of the film's strengths and, and Marx uh, touched on some of the thematic threads of the film which are certainly quite interesting uh, but I'll be completely honest I found the middle section of the film a bit of a slog Interesting, okay. Would you at least say it's a fitting tribute to Chadwick Boseman? Absolutely, no doubt about mm. it. And that's for me, that's where the film is at its best, you know, at that beginning and at the end. But in the middle, it kind of loses itself. Um, and I think, yeah, that's been touched on uh, in some of the reviews as well. So I agree with that. Uh, and, yeah, the film's villain for me was uh, somewhat shallow. Um, and, uh, yeah... I don't want to criticise the actor too much because it could be an issue of writing, but yeah, I don't think it was the best decision that the director made. Okay, so a bit split uh, between our panel of critics as well. Uh, How do you see it performing in Korea where Marvel films have enjoyed a lot of success, right, Mark? Uh, yeah, it's this it's this kind of established brand now, and it it, it often seems that these are the only movies that will get, you know, big audiences out uh, in recent years. Um, I'm not really sure how this one's going to do. Um, yeah, I went to see it yesterday. You know, the, the, there was, you know, I, admittedly I didn't go at peak times, but it wasn't, uh, didn't seem like it was overly full. Uh, but, uh, you know, we'll see how it does over the sure. weekend. I don't know if their pre-sales are strong or not. They're, they're yeah. decent, 200,000, but that's, you know, it's not kind of the same as the numbers before the, the pandemic. I mean, part of the problem with Marvel at the moment, um, it's like that famous coffee brand, you know, it becomes prestigious until you have it on every corner. And with <laughs> with Marvel films, they're just everywhere. And then you've got, um, you know, they're released every few months. And then on, you know, Disney Plus, you've got all these series. And, it, and obviously, you know, you've got these narratives interconnecting which works really well in films like uh endgame but i think at the moment for me it's there's just too much going on and there's a danger that it just becomes overwhelming and people just switch off okay so that was the latest release in the sprawling mcu series (laughs) uh, black panther wakanda forever next is a local korean release and it is the polar opposite, should we say, of our Marvel blockbuster. Oh, yeah. It is the latest <laughs> not from... not Marvel. <laughs> it is the latest from the prolific auteur Hong Sang-soo. It's called The War Cup, or in Korean, Tap. Mark, can you uh, describe it for us? Yeah, this is Hong's 28th uh, feature. <laughs> it's his second this year, and it's his 10th in the last five years. So wow. it's not even that, that unusual that he's putting out two a year anymore. Uh, it premiered pretty recently in in uh, Toronto, film, the International Film Festival, in September. Um, I able, was able to see it in Busan, where it played last month at the festival there, and now it's getting this release. Uh, the plot's pretty familiar if you're a fan of Hong Sing Soo. There's a filmmaker named uh, Byung Soo, who's played by Kwon uh, Hae Hyo, who's making his eighth appearance in a Hong film, so he's become kind of this Hong quasi-surrogate character in mm. a lot of these films. And he's, he visits um, this building owned by designer Miss, uh, Miss Kim, who's played by Lee Hae-young, who's been in his last three films, this kind of veteran actress who's made sort of a comeback in uh, Hong's work. And, um, and then the film kind of, um, he basically brings his daughter, his estranged daughter with her with the hopes that he can, she can kind of work as an apprentice with this designer. Right. And then basically the movie kind of splits into multiple parts, which is what we get in a lot of Hong films as well, uh, where he forms a relationship with another woman who's running a restaurant on the second floor of the building, uh, played by Song Sun Mi, 
who I think is actually the standout performance here. And um, and finally, with yet another woman who he ends up living on the top floor of the building uh, with, who's actually played by his real life wi- uh, wife, um, uh, the actor Kwon Hae Ho's real life wife, um, Cho Yoon Hee. So the title ends up being pretty appropriate since the movie is kind of about you know, the characters, but kind of about the building. <laughs> Almost right. everything is at the building. And so it takes, and this is something Hong often does, which is he he doesn't do any kind of production design. He just finds a location and goes, yeah, I'm going to shoot in this location <laughs> and shoots in it. And he sure. takes that almost to an extreme here with this building just becomes almost the the whole kind of location of the film. Interesting. And it kind of revolves around So it's a character that in itself, basically, the building. Yeah, to a point, yeah. yeah. Jason, as you said, it's his 28th film. It's getting hard to keep up with all of this uh, film yeah. from Hong. It's, uh, we should call it the Hong Sang-soo universe, uh, like the Marvel <laughs> Cinematic Universe. So have you uh, managed to see most of his recent works? And what, how did this one compare? Yeah, I have. Um, I'm lucky in that I'm able to get to see all of his films. And I saw his, his most two recent films uh, in Busan, uh, or through the Busan uh, kind of screening site. Um, and yeah, no, I think it's, I mean, Mark is more of a Hong Sang Su expert than myself. Um, but certainly there are a lot of the characteristic, characteristics you associate with Hong Sang Su. Uh, certainly, in terms of the the kind of the, narr- the architecture of the the narrative, a kind of starting and then in a certain place, and then kind of in terms of the the t- in terms of the time frame, it kind of uh, we kind of we go back and then it kind of returns to where it began. Um, that's very Hong Sang Su. The awkward encounters, the intoxicated conversations, <laughs> um, and I love the where it was shot. It was this mm-hmm. building. I actually looked it up. It's this building in Gangnam. Uh, and it's it's not the kind of building you would associate associate with Kangnam. It's quite cultural. It kind of stands out. It's not one of these kind of, uh, you know, dare I say, kind of not particularly interesting looking mm, buildings. Soulless, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Not, not one with a, um, you know, just two floors. It kind of spreads out all over the place. Um, and I think it kind of mirrored kind of Hong Sang Su's kind of approach to storytelling and you know walk up and uh, and how that's kind of almost like a metaphor for his film. I, I do find if you look at his more recent features, I think his films are beca- they tend to have a little, little bit. I don't know if Mark agrees with me here. A little bit more of closure. They seem a bit more optimistic. Uh, perhaps mm. that's reflecting what's going on in his in his personal mm. life, his reflections on his on his relationships with his family and those around him. Um, and uh, so that's. Sure. I mean, his films have always been personal, but but I think over the last few years, I've definitely mm. seen that. Uh, as Jason said, Mark, you've studied Hong's films quite extensively and have written uh, essays about them. How do you view this latest work and Hong's career arc as a whole? How does it fit in there? Yeah, he's a pretty unique uh, kind of figure um, in in world cinema. It's one of what, not only in Korean cinema, just globally as well. Um, I've actually just read a recent book about Hong by the critic Dennis Lim, uh, who writes about uh, Hong's uh, sixth film, uh, so way back in 2005, a movie called Tale of Cinema, but kind of uses it just to talk about all of Hong's films because there is so much repetition, right? And he kind of says about Hong, he's kind of like the ultimate auteur <laughs> in the sense that, you know, the films are so similar to each other. But then he kind of points out an interesting thing, which is that 
that ends up being kind of, um, it becomes almost a bit ironic because when you watch a Hong film, you start looking for the differences. Right. Well, right. that's the whole point, isn't <laughs> right. it, with repetition? Yeah. It's yeah. like uh, right now, wrong then, you know, where it's yeah. kind of two different films. Mm. They're very similar. But you, as an audience, what Hong Sang-soo is trying to do is get you to think about what you've seen before and how yeah. it's different. Yeah. And, and that applies to like his whole oeuvre as well, right? Yeah. Like all the, you're, you're kind of like looking for, well, what's different about this film? It seems almost like the same, but is there anything new here? <laughs> <laughs> and like I know for this film, for example, I know it's like, oh, he does. He's not zooming in this film. Like he almost zooms and all. There's almost like these right. zoom shots sure. in all his films. And mm. then this film, there isn't one. And you kind of go, okay, why that is. So on my initial reading, uh, watching of the film, it wasn't one of my favorites of his recent stuff. Um, uh, I just, I, I did find it. Maybe it was just the idea. Yeah, it was too similar. It didn't seem like there was anything new there. But I've kind of thought about it a bit more, and I've it's kind of I like to see it again. I will kind of have a look at it again, mm. and I do like the the location, like how that location is used, has sure. kind of stayed in my mind a bit sure. more. And so, yeah, I would, uh, yeah, I think it's yeah not top tier, but again, I'll, like all of his films, kind of worth a look and interesting in comparison if you are kind of a fan of of his work. Sure, you know, perhaps there he'll, are he'll more layers to unearth there yes. and worth some multiple viewings. Okay, we're going to have to leave it there. Jason, Mark, thank you both for your reviews and we'll see you next time. Thank you. Thank you. We wrap up the show now by looking ahead to what's happening next week in our segment, Next Week from Seoul. And providing us with the preview is our staff editor, Richard Larkin, who's here with us now in the studio. Richard, hello. It's good to see you. Hello. Good to see you too. Okay, so what's the first thing we should look out for next week? From Monday, the South Korean government will begin administering Pfizer's BA4 and BA5 bivalent COVID-19 vaccines to people aged 18 and older. The government said that a new wave appears to have begun with the Korea Disease Control and Prevention Agency reporting on Friday 54,519 infections from the previous day. The total rose by 11,000 from a week ago and around 18,000 from two weeks ago. It is the highest for Friday figures in nine weeks. The KDCA has said recently that the daily infections could surge to around 200,000 as early as December. To help limit the rise in cases, indoor mask mandates and a seven-day mandatory quarantine for those infected with the virus, will also remain in place. Right, so the case count is on the rise again in Korea. And as we heard from medical experts on the show this week, it is advised to get booster shots if you can, especially as the immunity from past shots uh, could have worn off by now as well. So that begins Monday. OK, what else is happening next week, Richard? There is big education news, as this year's college scholastic ability test, also known as the Sunung, will take place on Thursday. For our listeners who may not know, the Sunung is a standardised college entrance exam for high school students, which is recognised by South Korean colleges. It is believed that over 500,000 students will take the test on the day, so bus and subway services are increased to avoid traffic jams and allow students to get to the testing sites more easily. Yes, we wish uh, all the students luck in these uh, last few days of revision. Hang in there, there's not long to go. And finally, let's uh, look at one more. What else caught your eye for next week? G-Star, South Korea's largest gaming convention, is back for the first time in three years next week. From Thursday to Sunday, over 250,000 game lovers from across the nation are expected to head to the Busan Exhibition and Convention Centre to take a look at the big games that are set to be released in the near future. It is believed that this year's convention will see its largest attendance since its establishment 17 years ago. 
Big game companies such as Kakao Games, Crafton, Netmarble, and Nexon have already set the booths to allow gamers to experience their upcoming titles. In the wake of the recent Itaewon crowd crush, the organisers will more than double the number of safety personnel on hand at the event. Also earlier this week, Busan Metropolitan City held an emergency safety checkup meeting with local fire and police authorities to discuss measures to prevent accidents. Okay, we'll wrap it up there. Richard, thank you for that roundup and we'll see you next week. Thank you. Have a nice weekend. And that's all from us here on Career 24 for this week. We'll be back on Monday, so do join us again then to continue to get your daily dose of career news analysis. Till then, we hope you have a great weekend. I've been your host, Kwon jang and thank you as always for listening. Goodbye. KBS World Radio strives to promptly update our listeners on safety procedures during emergency situations. The following are recommended guidelines to follow in case of high levels of fine dust. Before going outside, check the air quality by visiting online resources or checking your local weather forecast. When the level of fine dust is high, avoid outdoor activities such as hiking, biking or field sports. Wear protective gear such as masks, glasses and hats. Close your windows, doors and dry your laundry inside. Wash your face often and make sure to also blow your nose regularly. If you have to leave your home, try to use public transportation in order to reduce air pollution. Take a shower after returning home to avoid skin irritation and rinse your sinuses if possible. Before preparing food, wash your hands and make sure to wash fruit and vegetables thoroughly before eating them. Please check our website at world.kbs.co.kr for up-to-date information and procedures. Thank you for tuning in to KBS World Radio. KBS World Radio is Korea's flagship international broadcaster airing in 11 languages. The English service of KBS World Radio broadcasts news, music shows and more on various platforms including shortwave radio, satellite radio and online. Visit our website at world.kbs.co.kr where you can find the latest news and stream all of our content. We are also available on mobile. To listen to our 24-hour service or our programs wherever you are, download the KBS Kong app or KBS World Radio On Air app onto your smartphone. We also want to hear from you. Visit our Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash English KBS and email us at english at kbs.co.kr to let us know your thoughts. Thank you.
一切要有。